For those of you who don't know me, my name's Steph, I'm one of, the, one of the pastors here and we're just looking at a series called Meeting Jesus and what we're doing is going through the Gospels and just looking at different people that Jesus met and really the nature of those various encounters in order for us to really become familiar with the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible and not a Jesus of our own imagination. You know what I mean? If you've been brought up a Christian or you're familiar with church or you watch the God channel a lot or whatever, you, you just get lots of kind of different messages that often are said to be Christian, but some of them uh, are great. Others of them, not quite so great. And so we're just trying to make sure that we're, over these weeks, really getting into the Gospels and, and, and letting Jesus' own words kind of stand alone and, and, and not even the bits that are uncomfortable and make us think, man, you know, you sort of initially think, I wish he hadn't said that. You know, letting him speak and, make him, make him, and where there's difficulties, looking at us to change rather than trying to change him. Yeah? That's what we're doing. And so uh, we're looking at an encounter with Jesus today that he had with a man called Poncho. Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the uh, was the Roman governor um, over Jerusalem, and um, so he was the man with the authority, if you like. And uh, we're looking at the encounter that Jesus had with Pilate shortly after he'd been arrested by the Jewish leaders. They didn't have the authority to kill, to execute, and so they took him to they took Jesus to Pontius Pilate as the Roman governor, because Pilate had that kind of authority, and they wanted Jesus killed. So what we're going to do, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Now what I have done here, is I've, I've used John's Gospel, and we're going to read in a moment up on the screen, John's account. But Matthew, Mark and Luke, who also write accounts of Jesus meeting Pilate, they had some amazing details that John didn't. So I've slipped a few of Matthew, Mark and Luke's details in as well, just to give us a really full and rich understanding and picture of this encounter that I've wanted to preach on for years, because it is so rich. It is so human. It is so tense. So... Uh, reading starting from John chapter 18 verse 28, here we go. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. So it appears Jesus has probably been being questioned all through the night. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. 
but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. They cried out again, not this man, Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you won't speak to me? Do you know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, that's about noon. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So when Pilate saw he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray now, Lord, as I just unpack it in these next minutes that you would uh, bring it to life in our souls by your Holy Spirit. And that we would be searched out by you to the depths of who we are. And I pray that you would touch us right in our core today. And that 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 would be for your glory, Lord. And it would also be for our good. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You see what I mean by this encounter? It's incredible. 
It's so human. You can see the dilemmas. You can see that Pilate is being pulled in many different directions. Pilate was an evil man, a very evil man. Uh, his reputation was as, as a, a callous, cruel, unsympathetic tyrant. The history books will tell you that. But here you see that Jesus gets right under his skin. And hardly says a word, but gets right under his skin. You see Pilate, the one with the earthly authority, uh, shaken to the core when he's face to face with the one with heavenly authority. You see, you see the man who is um, really at ease, his life is under no threat, lose all composure when face to face with a man about to be killed who retains complete composure. It's an amazing encounter between these two. And Pilate is pulled in, I think, three main directions. That's what we're going to look at. There are three statements, three things that are said during his uh, nightmare morning. They're said externally from three different directions, really. And they end up pulling him internally in three different directions. And we're going to look at those directions and maybe... Maybe we'll leave here with some sympathy towards Pilate. Because sometimes you can look at someone and think, oh, how could you do that? And then you begin to realise that you yourself, in your own heart, are maybe just as frail, if not more so. The first thing that is said is this, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So Pilate is a governor, he's under the authority of Caesar. He's reigning in Jerusalem on behalf of Caesar, who rules the entire Roman Empire. So, he, so, so Caesar is his authority, his head if you like. And Jesus apparently came to be the king of the Jews. One of the arguments that the Jews adopt are, well, he's claiming to be a king, so he's opposing Caesar. So what's happening at this point is this, is Pilate is being pulled by the fact that he's under another authority. There's an authority in Pilate's life, Caesar, that is going to keep him from allegiance to Jesus, the true king. Now before we go any further, I want to just unpack a Christian stance on authority. What does the Bible teach about how a Christian should respond to authority? Uh, It's really important and it's actually two-sided. So you've got to understand both sides and I'll I'll explain both sides and then if you're confused, I'll give you an illustration that will make it very simple. Okay, so we start just looking at Romans 13 here on the the slide, if that's okay, Um, Rachel. Romans 13 verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So, as a Christian, uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, then the way you re- respond to authority really gets impacted uh, in, in a central place. Um, the idea is that as believers... Um, we move from a potential position of antagonism towards authority to honour. From cynicism to submission. And it's a heart thing. Not just something you do externally, it's a, it's a heart thing. So potential uh, authorities, parents, government, boss, police, very topical, given some of the stuff in the news this week. All of these authorities are flawed. That's what makes it hard. But all of these authorities have been put in place by God. Even Jesus here acknowledges Pilate's authority in this encounter. It's been given him from above. 
So as a Christian, we are, we are to move from a place of antagonism and cynicism to honour and submission in our hearts. It's really important that you get that. And if something inside you starts going, you've got to work out why. Don't just dismiss that. Ask, ask yourself, why is, some, why is that happening in me? It's important that you get that. Um, by the same token, it seems that the Jews are saying that if you side with Jesus, that's a threat to Caesar's authority, which actually seems opposite from that. But I want to say this as well. Allegiance to Jesus is a threat to everything. If you're going to align yourself to Jesus as king, it is a threat to every other authority in your life as well. So shall I explain to you how that works? Yes, I hear you say in a confused voice. Here's an illustration. Before I was a Christian, I was uh, what you might describe as a petty criminal. Okay? So I'm not trying to make out of some bad boy, okay? Or wasn't that guy, but just mostly stealing um, from shops to cars. That was the sort of level, okay? So that would be part of sporadically what I would be involved in in my life. As a result of that, I viewed myself on the other side of the fence to the police. They were to be avoided, they were to be viewed with uh, antagonism, suspicion. Um, basically, basically, you see one and you know, you either run away. Or if you're not doing anything wrong, you feel like you should run away. Okay? That is the position I was in before I knew Jesus. Then when I came to Christ, I turned away in my heart from those acts of petty crime. But actually even more deeply than that, there was a whole change of heart, change of mind around the whole thing. Whereby now, I am on the same side as the police. Are they perfect? No. But I'm on their side. If they're on the side of upholding the law, I'm on their side. I will call the police in a situation where the police need to be involved. I will work with and cooperate with the police gladly in a situation whereby justice will be done. Okay? My attitude has changed. I'll greet them. I'll be, look, I'll be the one looking to make eye contact with them so I can just say hello when we walk past one another. Okay? Now the idea of there being no police terrifies me, whereas previously it would, I would have seen it as a good thing. Now I realise I was an idiot. The idea of no police is a nightmare. Okay? Why? Because I'm a Christian, because I'm now aligned with Jesus. But, also, because I'm aligned with Jesus, I am now more willing than I ever was before I knew Jesus to look a policeman in the face and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I will not do what you are asking me to do. If a policeman asks me to give some false evidence, or to, um, or to fabricate something, or to just bend the truth a bit, I will look them in the eyes and say, I'm not doing it. If then they threaten as a result of that bad consequences for me, so be it. I'm not doing it. Why? Because I'm aligned with Jesus. Do you understand? So, Jesus is my magnetic north now, and he changes everything, so my relationship with the authorities are transformed in two ways. I'm now for them, praying for them, supporting them, have a good heart towards them. But if needs be, if they ask me to do something that is against God's law, and God's ways, and God's truth, I will completely rebel. Okay? So, I just wanted to give you that at the start. To help you understand the situation that Pilate finds himself in. They say to him, if you align yourself with this king, you're in opposition to Caesar. As a result, 
Pilate is pulled away from allegiance to Jesus. Now I want to ask you about your relationships in your life with those who have authority, officially or unofficially. Because you can be in a relationship with someone who doesn't officially have authority, but you know what? They're over you. All they've got to do is make a phone call and you jump. All they've got to do is look at you in a certain way and you're like, oh, okay. I want to say to you that your relationship with Jesus should challenge and threaten the dynamics of the relationship you are in with those who are in authority over you. Your relationship with Jesus has something to say about your relationship with your boss. And it's something like this. That even when he's not there, out of honour for him, you will work hard. And when he or she asks you to do something corrupt, you look them in the eye and you say, no, I can't do that. I want to I bring this challenge today that Pilate, he, he stumbled. He, he, he's a hurdle and he stumbled over it. Because suddenly it was like, but Jesus, if I align myself with Jesus, then what's going to happen with that relationship there? If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to trust him with that. If you want to follow Jesus, every other relationship of authority becomes subservient to your relationship with Christ. He comes to revolutionise every relationship. And so if you're here as a Christian, someone who says, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm following Jesus, I want to just say, just do a quick check, stop check of your, this week, of those in your life who are influential over you, and ask yourself, are any of these people actually more effective in their authority towards me than Jesus Christ? Am I compromising my walk with Jesus because of what these people are saying? If so, you really need to repent of that, get help and support with that, so you can walk out from there. If you're here as someone who's exploring Christianity, maybe you're not sure where you're at, or maybe you don't believe, you know, you you couldn't say hand on heart, yes, I'm a full, you know, fully-fledged follower of Jesus, so you're kind of looking into this stuff. I want to say to you at the start, Jesus comes to completely revolutionise everything. Absolutely. And he may well do it bit by bit, but you've got to go in knowing, when you say Jesus is Lord, you are submitting to the true King. He is Magnetic North. He's the King. It's totally reasonable that you bow the knee to him. So that's the first pull. The second pull is this. His wife have nothing to do with that righteous man. I mean, he's in enough of a state as it is, isn't he? You know? He's in trouble as he is sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? Suddenly a message comes from his wife. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. The oh man, Pilate. Let's look at this. Here, Pilate is being pulled into passivity. A non-response to Jesus. The problem is, he can't. He can't, can he? I mean, whatever Pilate says or does, it will lead to either Jesus' acquittal or his condemnation. That's what's going to happen. Pilate can't just say, okay, I'll have nothing to do with him. Pilate, you're in the thick of it. You back out now, there will be a conclusion as a result of your backing out. You can't, Pilate, have nothing to do with Jesus. But you know what? Here's the other news, guys. Neither can you. No one can have nothing to do with Jesus because he's the central figure of history and the command is, bow the knee. That, that's the command. So, you, so you, can, you can play the neutral role or the kind of ambivalent role or even the, well, I'm sympathetic to that role, but all of those are just different ways of not bowing the knee. By, by just saying, well, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. You feel free to, feel free to worship Jesus, that's fine, I'm not going to get in your way. Uh, but, but in doing so, what you're saying is, is that I'm not going to bow the knee. That's a response. Your non-response is a response. It's a bit like as a parent. If I find out that my kids are pulling other kids' hair out, 
you know, and using nasty language at school, and I don't do anything, I've just done something, haven't I? (laughs) How are my kids going to read that? It's fine. Why? Oh, mum and dad didn't say anything. And so I think sometimes we think that if we don't respond, it's a non-response. No, that's a response. And all of us have to work out, what am I going to do with this Jesus? Because you can't have nothing to do with him. We must respond to Jesus. And here's why. The Apostle Paul says this. If we look at... uh, Oh, sorry, could you go to the next one, Rachel? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. One of my roles as one of the pastors here is to prepare you for that day. I want to prepare you for the day where you stand before Jesus. And I want it to be a day of glory and a day of joy and a day of celebration and a day of well done, good and faithful servant. That is my heart's longing for me and for you. Because we're all gonna, we're all, it's not just Pilate, it's not just the big, the big ones, you know, the big people. No, it's all of us. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's another slight layer to this pull, this second pull, and it's this: his own wife, someone very close to him, is saying, "Don't have nothing to do with Jesus." <laughs> And I want to just mention that for a minute and just draw your attention to that. Because it may not be that it's people in authority over you, but it could just be those who are really close to you who say, you know, we've been best friends since we were two. And you're getting into all this Jesus stuff now. And come on, he's new on the scene. Me and you go way back. It's crazy, don't get into that. And it can be a, it can be a pull. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it would have been, this is the, this is, would have been the most difficult person that this message could have come to Pilate from my wife. What's my wife having dreams about Jesus for? This is a nightmare. Pilate, as, 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 as great as his hand-washing thing was, it was just a show. He didn't make him innocent at all. He didn't have to go home to his wife. And it can be those who are closest to us who say these things to try and keep us from radically following Jesus, keep us from bowing the knee. You don't want to end up like Pilate and be pulled by that. Even our closest relationships come under the scrutiny of Jesus. And as I was preparing, I just kind of felt, you know, I want to offer support here. Some of you may be in positions where you think, I really want to follow Christ. Or, I'm following Christ, but there's an area where I know that I I feel maybe I'm not. And it's because, it's it's almost like you've got someone sitting on your shoulder. You know. And I just want to say, that if you need to just help to just walk in freedom away from that, we really want to support you. We really want to help you. It's really important. Finally, when Pilate saw that a riot was beginning... (laughs) What's this? Here, Pilate is being pulled by the potential of some serious consequences of siding with Jesus. If I keep, if I keep kind of deliberating and not making a decision here, he can see this thing's going to go crazy. There's going to be a right on my hands and it's going to come back to me. There are consequences at times for following Jesus. Things like rejection, anger, even missed opportunities. You think, oh, you didn't get that promotion. Why? Because you're a Christian. <laughs> you didn't get it. There can be blessing. God can just bring blessing because you are one of his but nevertheless sometimes there can be the opposite thing in the book of Revelation Jesus speaks to numbers of his churches and he speaks to them about um, 
But what happened in those days was that every trade had its own god. So if you were a silversmith, you would worship a certain god. And the way that the trade would work was you'd have these feasts together of different tradesmen who were all of the same trade. And they would, they would kind of offer the food to these idols. And then they would eat this food and it would be a celebration and a way of, a way of asking this kind of god, in quotes, to bless them. And some of the Christians were being tempted to go along to these feasts because they recognised if they weren't there, their business was going to struggle. If they, weren't there, they, 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 if they weren't there, they would miss out on work opportunities. And Jesus speaks into that and calls them to be radical. Calls them not, to, comp- not to, to, to stay away from compromise. To take the hit in this age for the sake of the age to come. And it's so important we hear that in our hearts today. And let Jesus speak in that way to us. That we need faith to trust that Jesus will honour us if we honour him. Jesus will honour us. If you look at Psalm 91, it says, um, this is God speaking about uh, one of his faithful uh, people. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I, be, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honour him. There's a promise of God to honour you one way or the other. And it's not always instant and sometimes you've got to go through some trials and some, you know, it feels like you're walking through the fire and then you're walking through the river. But you never drown, you never get burnt because he's got you and he will bring you through. Because he's faithful, amen? amen. We, those of us who follow, we know that he's faithful. We mustn't fear that. And so pleasing others or just trying to hold on to the status quo because you're afraid of consequences of really following Jesus, it will lead to a misting over. You won't be able to really see what God's doing. Your eyes will go, your ears will go dull. Your hearing will start to fade. You won't really have a, a clear grasp of Holy Spirit conviction anymore because you're just trying to keep everyone happy. Here, Pilate's being pulled by popularity. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. Trying to please people all the time. It's a trap. Whoever trusts in the Lord, they're safe. Really and truly safe. The greatest tragedy of this story is this. Here's the point. Pilate knew the truth about Jesus. That's the greatest tragedy. That's this bit at the end about the sign. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They read it and said, this is all wrong. Pilate, surely you should write, he said, he claimed, what I've written, I've written. It's Pilate, it was Pilate's best attempt, if you like, to say, I know who he was. He knew who he was. But he was pulled in so many different directions that he didn't bow the knee. And you can know. You can know in your heart, but still not come to Christ because of these various fears I've spoken about, these influences... Jesus is clear. I mean, just look at Jesus in this story. Don't you love him? He's clear, humble, composed, God-focused, insistent on the truth. And you know what? He has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad you serve this amazing, amazing king? I want to just really wrap it up by... Try to ask, look at, how did the early church understand what happened to Jesus this day? How did they get their head around this thing that looked like a miscarriage of justice and a tragedy? Well, initially they were really confused. Initially they were despondent. They thought the whole thing was over. They did not know what to do with themselves. But then, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And over a period of 40 days, appeared to them. 
appeared to numbers of different ones in different settings in a very physical way. He didn't come as a spirit. He, he, he entered a locked room mysteriously, so it clearly was different from you and me. But then he said, where's the fish? And started eating. And it was a, it's a picture of what, our glorified, what the glorified body looks like, the kind of body that God will give to us when he returns and there's a new heavens and a new earth. So it's still physical, but boy, it's pretty impressive. Walk into closed rooms and stuff like that, you know. That's the picture Jesus gave. It's a, amazing. Oh, and they, at times, well, is it Jesus or isn't it? Oh, yeah, the scars are still there. Okay, but it kind of looks different. And they were often confused. But over those 40 days, they became more and more convinced. He's, he's alive. He's risen from the dead. And then he ascended to be back with the Father in the heavenly realms. And then, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And those people that had walked with Jesus physically, humanly, suddenly they knew the exact same presence, but all of them indwelling their hearts. And from that point on, they understood exactly what had happened. And they saw it very differently. And here's how they articulated it in a prayer. They're praying and they they quote the Psalms. They say, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Jesus. And they say, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They got it. It was outrageous. It was a miscarriage of justice. It was horrific. It was God's plan of salvation. They saw it. They understood. God had planned this thing. It was necessary because of the depths of our own problems internally, our hearts, the way we are, the thing the Bible calls sin, this inbuilt rebellion to God, this inbuilt hardness. There's nothing we can do to get out of the pit we're in. So God sent his only son to come into that pit and take all the filth unto himself on the cross. So it was necessary because we can't save ourselves. God sent Jesus to save us, to rescue us. But it was successful. And the resurrection proved that. As Ruth mentioned earlier in her prayer, the resurrection of Jesus was a vindication of the fact he was the Son of God. And he did have no sin. And he has beaten sin and death. And he is the King. And our God reigns now in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the kingdom. It is amazing, beautiful news. Jesus is the magnetic north. And you and me, who are we? Well, we're a bit like Barabbas the robber. Whether or not you stole things from shops like me, we've all stolen glory from God. We've all stolen from him. We're all morally criminals in that sense. And Jesus being condemned, just like that day when Barabbas was set free, you can imagine him thinking, wow. But behind him, Jesus is being led off to execution. We've been let off the hook. We've been let off the hook. And the way that we receive that gift of being let off the hook is that we turn away from that mucky, self-centered, sin-loving life and we turn to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I'm going to bow the knee. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put you in the driving seat of my life. I'm going to be baptised. I'm going to go through the water to show that I've, been, I've died, been buried with you. I've been raised into newness of life. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to follow you. Amen? Amen.
Amen. Amen. I, I felt like the good way to respond to today's message initially would to just be quickly to, for... I just feel in a message like this today, there'll be some sitting there thinking, I, I, I want to say freshly, Jesus is my magnetic north. I'm, I'm, I'm putting him there and everything else is going to have to fit around that. I'm not going to put someone or something else there and try and make Jesus fit around that. It will not work. And so I just, want to, I just want to pray a prayer over those of you who really feel like today's the day you want to do that. And as a result of this message, you just feel like, yeah, actually, I don't want to do the Pontius Pilate thing. I want to, I want to say, Jesus, it's just that you, you just know in your own heart, it's, a, it's an important moment for you to be able to do that and say that before God. So if that's you, you stand where you are. I'm going to just pray a prayer as you commit that to God. Jesus. After I've prayed, we're going to sing and um, probably one or two more songs before we finish at 5.30. Also, we're going to break bread and drink the wine. and That's at the back of the hall. And during the songs, you guys, can, all of us can just go and help ourselves. But I'd encourage us, if we're able to do that, to do that with someone and just pray with someone and get someone to pray with you. If you're standing for prayer now, I'd particularly encourage you during bread and wine to just find someone and say, Hey, here's why I stood. This is this is what this is this in this area I wanted to say, Jesus, you're gonna put you first, just so you can stand with someone and, and receive the receive prayer and just be encouraged. So Father, I thank you for these guys that are stood. I bless you for them, Lord God. Thank you. You know secrets of the heart. Thank you, Lord. You you get right to the heart of the thing and Lord, I just bless you for willing, responsive hearts. Thank you for that. That's your grace at work. Thank you, your grace is at work already. Thank you, God. Even for those, Lord, who haven't stood but just wish they had. Uh, I just want to ask, Lord God, for all who are just feeling something of the searchlight of the Holy Spirit, just bringing some, highlighting some things. I want to ask, Lord, as these guys just get right with you, as these guys maybe confess sin, talk, talk with you, or even just speak to you about temptations they're facing at the moment, or whatever it might be, I, I pray, Father, that they would really, as they connect with you on a heart level, I pray that they would really meet with you. I want to pray you would really make yourself known to them powerfully in a fresh and beautiful way. I want to pray you make your grace known to them, Lord, that you're not calling them to follow you in their own power, you're simply calling them to trust you to really trust you in a deep and profound way that you will provide the power they need to follow you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, we welcome and honour your presence here today. We just welcome and honour you here, wonderful Holy Spirit. We pray that you would go to work in beautiful ways, Lord God. Go to work even through this, the truth in these songs we're going to sing, through the bread and the wine. We welcome and honour your beautiful presence here. And we pray that you would be working in our hearts to, to reveal Jesus in a fresh way. And to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would leave just with a, that, that aroma of Christ, freshly, freshly brought to us, I pray. In the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus.